And this passage is really just kind of explaining a little bit more of what that looks like and explaining how it is that it's possible for us to forgive. Now, the word forgive is not in the verses that I just read to you, but this passage is all about forgiveness. It's all about forgiveness from the heart. And we just prayed, we sang and we prayed together from the Lord's Prayer. And one of the things that it says in the Lord's Prayer is forgive us our debts. That's our sin debt against God, even as we forgive our debtors. That's those who sin against us. And Jesus doesn't say we haven't forgiven our debtors. Uh, It's too hard. It would be nice if we could forgive our debtors. No, he says, even as we have forgiven our debtors. And just to clear that up, immediately after he gives us the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, the next verses say this. Matthew 6, 14 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's pretty serious right there, isn't it? He's not saying, boy, it's hard to forgive, try a little harder. He's saying, if you are the kind of person whose sins have been forgiven by God, you will forgive other people from the heart. You will be a forgiving person. If you have come to understand what it is for you yourself to be a sinner against the holy eternal God, and then have received the forgiveness of your sins that would have put you in an eternity of conscious torment under his wrath, rightly so for your sin, if you have understood that and been rescued out of that, then it's not going to continue to be possible in your life to hold on to that vengeance of the heart against other people's sin against you or against other people for their sin against you. Here's here's a way that Jesus put that in Matthew 18. He told a parable about this. Verse 23 through 35, Jesus says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now a talent was a unit of money that was a lot of money, and you might just say a gajillion dollars. This was an amount of money that could not possibly be seen or paid off in the lifetime of this person. He owed him that much. And he says, since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found the one, of, one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. A denarii was about a day's wage for uh, a manual laborer. So, it's, you know, it's a significant amount, a hundred days wages for a manual laborer, but it's nothing like the gajillion dollars. He went out and found this man, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said, You wicked servant, 
I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? In an anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You hear that? What Jesus is saying is if we have received and understood the forgiveness of our sin against God, the eternal debt that was owed to that, we will be forgiving people toward others. We will forgive from the heart. Now, part of the reason I read you that parable is because it ends with that concept, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And that's what this last passage in Romans 12 is talking about. It's talking about heart forgiveness. Heart forgiveness is different from the kind of forgiveness that always leads to restored relationships. I've got to lay that out there quickly because often when we talk about forgiveness, we're talking, or what people mean by forgiveness is, is not just heart forgiveness, but everything going back to normal between you and another person. Not everything can always go back to normal between you and another person. That requires their repentance. Okay? If someone has harmed your child and they will not repent of it, you can't go back to a normal relationship with that person, but here is what you can do, and you absolutely must do, is forgive from the heart. If you do not forgive from the heart, says Jesus, you will not be forgiven by the Father. So what does that look like? That's what we're talking about here, is forgiveness from the heart. And uh, let me just give you an example. Uh, there's this, this is just the wording from a Christian website where, where I kind of reminded myself of this story. It says, just days after Dylan Roof ruthlessly took the lives of nine church members at a Bible study at a church in Charleston, South Carolina, family members of the victims remarkably began offering statements of forgiveness to him during a bond hearing. And one in particular, the daughter of Ethel Lance, who was murdered, fought through tears to speak directly to this murderer and said, you took something very precious away from me, and I will never talk to her ever again. I will never be able to hold her again, but I forgive you. Now, by I forgive you, she doesn't mean I think you need to be released from prison in order to do this more. <laughs> She's talking about forgiveness from the heart. And again, that's what's being spoken of here in Romans chapter 12, forgiveness from the heart. So let's think about this. Let's see how this is possible. Let's see the instructions that are here for us as believers in Jesus Christ, starting in Romans 12:19. If you're following along on the outline of, uh, on the back of your bulletin, Point one, leave revenge to God. It says in verse 19, first word, beloved, beloved. Just a reminder here that this is speaking to Christians. This is speaking to those who have already been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, born again, who have experienced the love of Jesus applied to them. It takes us back, just as we've been taken back for every verse in chapter 12 to verse 1 of chapter 12 where he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We're still in the instructions of what that looks like to present your body as, as a living sacrifice and to present your, your mind, to have your mind transformed by, uh, by God, by the Spirit. But all of this is in light of the mercies of God. When he says beloved, that's not just a throwaway word. It's, hey, remember that you are the wicked servant, you are the servant who was wicked, you are the servant who was forgiven the 10,000 talents. You are the servant who was forgiven the unpayable debt. You have been loved by God, believer in Jesus Christ. You have experienced God's love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5.8. And so he says to those who are beloved, here's the instruction, Never avenge yourselves. This is not the first place in the Bible that says this. Back in Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18, it says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Or Proverbs 20, verse 22 says, Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. Proverbs 24, verse 29 says, Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. Or, as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, some verses that we read last week, and I'm just going to read them again. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. That if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. You know what it means when it says vengeance is mine, and we put all these things together. It means it is not our job as individuals to get justice on evil people. It is not our job to be the one who carries out justice on sin especially the sins against us personally. Now, can you protect yourself from being harmed? I believe the answer to that is yes, because you see Jesus doing that. Now, he's not jumping up and punching people in the face who are trying to harm him, but there's multiple times when he has a crowd that wants to harm him, and he slips away. He protects himself. Or even in Esther chapter 9, Verse 16, the way that God delivered the Jewish people through uh, his providence in putting Esther there as the queen is that at Esther's request, the king allowed the Jewish people to protect themselves from the attacks that they were going to receive. And it says in Esther 9.16, the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives. So it's not saying that you can't defend your life. Can you protect others? Absolutely, you can protect others. You should protect others. Example of that, Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. We should. Can you ask proper authorities to get involved, like the police, where there are sins that would call for those authorities? Absolutely, you can and should. Now, not with a heart to get revenge, but with a heart to do what is right and to protect others. 
a way to maintain peace and order. Uh, Robert Haldane said about this verse, it is often right to appeal to the laws of our country in order to secure the peace of society and defend ourselves and others from similar injury. For example, I said earlier, what if your child was harmed? Get the police involved. You don't want other children to be harmed. It's not revenge to do that. It's for the peace and order of society. But at the same time, even as we do that, we need to be searching our hearts to say, am I doing this as an act of vengeance? Am I doing this because I am going to try to get back and be the one who would repay evil? And he says, do not avenge yourselves. We should never be the one who personally acts as the one who would carry out justice against the evildoer. Now, ways that you could try to get revenge, where it says, do not avenge yourselves, you you could obviously try to do that in actions, where you would do things to someone to try to harm them because you have been harmed. It says, don't do that. There's ways that you could do that in words, to speak against someone because you have been harmed whether it's to speak against them directly or to try to tear them down in unnecessary ways in your speech to others, which is called gossip and slander. Or it could be in your heart. It could simply be in your heart. If it's in your words or your actions, it's obviously in your heart, but it may be in your heart even if it's not in your words and your actions. This vengeance of seething this vengeance of a grudge, this vengeance of hatred. That's why Jesus says, you must forgive from the heart. Do not get heart vengeance on evildoers. Do you know who is harmed when you hold on to a bitter and vengeful attitude towards someone? You are. (laughs) You are. But how is it possible not to do that? There's the big question, and I want to assert to you that this is where we, we are able to have forgiveness from the heart. This is where we're able to have this whole teaching that we as Christians who have been forgiven can forgive others is in this next statement where it says, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Leave it to the wrath of God. So often, when when people think of forgiveness, forgiveness from the heart, whether it's letting go of a grudge or or restored relationships or whatever other kind of forgiveness you might think of, they think, well, I, I, I I don't know if I can really do that because what was done actually was evil. And, and if I just let it go, then I'm pretending that it's not evil. It, it almost feels like you're doing something wrong to forgive. That, that is the feeling that leads to that vengeance and that seething and that bitterness in heart is if I don't do this, it would be wrong because of how wrong that sin was that was committed. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, then I don't know how you escape that. I don't know how you escape that because you were built with something of the law of God imprinted on your heart. Romans 2 talked about that. 
And, and together with that is that, that there is a sense that, that's on your heart, in your conscience, that there is such a thing as right and wrong, and, and that those who do what is wrong ought to be punished. You know it. And you know that if there were no punishment for sin, that that would be wrong. Just to use an extreme example, I mentioned the murderer Dylan Roof earlier. If he went into court and all the evidence for him were laid out, and then he were declared not guilty and let go, everybody would know this is wrong. There needs to be justice for sin. But here's the thing, too. Even in a court like that, even with the maximum penalty of death, human beings can't get final justice. Now, we're going to talk when we get to the next chapter about the fact that God has given that earthly justice into the hands of authorities in this world, but even as we see that, we say, but, but that, that can't really get justice. But you know who can? God. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's what this verse says. When it says here, leave it to the wrath of God, the way that the words are, are literally written in Greek is give place to wrath. There's some translations that, that put it that way, and usually the ESV is a very literal translation. That's what I'm preaching from is the ESV, but in this case, they've, they've taken a little bit of liberty, and I think that they have actually, in taking that liberty, they've gotten the sense of it right. When it says give place to wrath, this is what it means is leave it up to God's wrath. Not to your own wrath, but up to God's wrath. Now, do you understand what the wrath of God is? The wrath of God is serious. The wrath of God is righteous. God is a God who is 100% light. No darkness at all. 100% holy. No sin whatsoever. He doesn't change. He's not going to shift in any of that. He is the lawgiver. He's the creator. He is omnipresent, which means that he is everywhere to see every sin. He's omniscient, which means that he knows everything, not just the sins that can be seen and heard on the outside, but all of the sins of the ugly tendencies of the heart. He knows it all. And he is omnipotent all-powerful, and all-good. I love what Paul Washer said. He said that if God is good, that is the most terrifying truth in all of Scripture to sinners. Because we are not. If God is good and he lets the righteous, or excuse me, lets the, the sinner go unpunished, then he's no longer good. If he lets sin go unpunished, I mean. God has wrath. Now, this wrath is something that is, is part of the very nature of his holiness in relation to sin against him. His wrath is terrifying, and he will by no means clear the guilty. The very same statement where God said about himself back in Exodus that he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger, and showing, uh, showing the steadfast love towards thousands of those who love him, forgiving sin, he also said, 
but who by no means will clear the guilty. What does that look like? Well, he says in Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Do you know what you're saying when you don't forgive from the heart? You're saying God's wrath accidentally skipped that sin. But God's word says the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. It says in Colossians 3 that there is sexual immorality and impurity and passion and evil desire and covetousness which is idolatry. And he says on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. He says in Revelation 19.15, this is a picture of Christ returning. He says from his mouth comes a sharp sword, that's his word, with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. His wrath is coming. Revelation 20 says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Is that wrath enough? Revelation 21.8, as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. If you are not trusting in Christ today, I hope that that will terrify you and turn you to Christ. If you think to yourself, being scared is not a good reason to trust in Jesus, it's not a bad one. Jesus used it a lot. Be terrified at the wrath of God and turn to Christ in his mercy and grace. But believers, you need to know that for all those who have ever sinned against you who do not trust in Christ, that is the wrath of God that's coming. But if they will trust in Christ... Or for us who have trusted in Christ, the wrath of God is still enough. And you know where it's happened? On Jesus at the cross. It says in Isaiah 53, verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Or Romans 5, 9, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. When it says leave it to the wrath of God, that applies for the sins that have been committed by Christians too because do you know his wrath and punishment was poured out perfectly on the Son, on Christ. He perfectly drank the cup of the wrath of God for all of his elect, for everyone who would ever trust in Jesus for all time. So for us who repent and believe on the Lord Jesus, 
or for anyone who has ever sinned against you who will ever repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. That justice, that wrath has been carried out in full at the cross, and that is sufficient. That is a sufficient payment for sin. But just remember, for those who do not repent and believe, 2 Thessalonians 1.9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. What are you going to add to that? What are you going to add to that with your vengeful actions or your vengeful words or your vengeful attitude of your heart? You can't add to that. That's why we can say, leave it to the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. If you're having trouble forgiving someone from your heart as a believer in Christ, the instruction here, the instruction, not just the suggestion, but the instruction is remember that God's wrath will be poured out on that sin. And that is so sufficient that you don't have to have any wrath for it. Zero. Not just letting it go as though it never happened, but handing it over to the Lord in fear and saying, your goodness, your glory, your wrath, your vengeance is sufficient. I don't have to hold on to it. I can forgive from the heart because I have been forgiven by the blood of the Lamb. What do we do instead? As we let go of those things, turn them over to God, trust that vengeance is His, not ours. Well, what are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to do the opposite of revenge. That's verse 20. He says in verse 20, to the contrary. That means do the opposite. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, when it says your enemy... Just keep in mind what it said back in verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Someone not, ought not to be your enemy because it's your fault. We ought to be doing what we can to live peaceably with all, but at the same time, there are those who sin against us who would act as our enemies. And he says, well, what do you do if they're hungry? Do you say, ha ha, you're not blessed no, he says, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. You, you can expand from this. It's not just only those two things. If, if they're in a financial bind, you can help them out. If they need their, their house painted, go over there with a bucket and a paintbrush. There's all kinds of things that you, you can do where it says, hey, look for what they need. Be a blessing to that person, even as you're handing their sin over to the wrath of God and not thinking that it's okay, but forgiving from the heart. Do the opposite of vengeance. You know why we can do that? It, it's because that's what God has done for us in Christ. It says in, in Romans 5.20, where sin increased, grace decreased, no, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's the attitude God has had toward us. And that's why we can look and say, not only am I going to forgive from the heart, I'm going to do the opposite of vengeance. I'm going to bless where I've been cursed. 
He says that the result of that will be you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, when I used to read that, I used to just think that the plain meaning was, well, that's going to be about people getting angrier because you're, you're doing something nice for them when, when they hate you. And I don't know, maybe that's part of it. There, there's others who, who think that what this is all about is the fact that this burning coals would be shame, like the idea that they're, they're further shamed by the fact that you're doing something good for them when they've done something bad for you. And maybe that shame would even be something that would, would urge them toward repentance. And there's others who think that maybe these burning coals on the head mean that, that they're having more and more of the wrath of God heaped up on them when they refuse to repent and are shown kindness anyway. It might be any of those, it might be some combination of those, but all of this is, is kind of pointing us toward the fact that, that we're to show kindness, and that in our showing kindness, that's part of what God may use to call those people to repent. That's what it said in Romans 2.4, that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, and his kindness can be shown to others in your kindness as part of opening up that door for them to repent to be forgiven by Christ, to be made whole. And we ought to have that prayer for people. We ought to have the prayer. When it, just as it said back in verse 14, bless those who persecute you. This is the kind of blessing that Christ prayed upon those who were nailing him to the cross. His Father, forgive them. We ought to have that kind of an attitude in our minds as we're seeking to do the opposite of revenge, just as Christ has forgiven us. Verse 21 says that we should not be overcome by evil. Do not be overcome by evil. That's pretty straightforward. Well, what's it saying there? Well, it means if you give in to the temptation to get back at that person, to take vengeance on that person, that is a loss for you. That is a spiritual loss and a spiritual battle. When you have held on to a grudge, when you've spoken those words, when you've done those actions of vengeance... That is exactly what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to respond to evil with evil of your own. He wants you, when you are tempted and tried and when you suffer, he wants you to respond by saying, my situation is the one that is unique enough that I can sin in this and it's right. That is being overcome by evil. He has dug a pit for you And the easiest thing in the world for you to do is fall into it. The easiest thing in the world is to say, I will hold a grudge and I will take vengeance. In the moment, you think that what you're doing is making things right for yourself. That you're standing for the just cause. But what's actually happening is you're being overcome by evil. You're being mauled by that roaring lion who wanders to and fro seeking someone to devour. Don't do it. Robert Haldane, again, I just love that guy. I can't help quote him. He said about this, to yield to anger is to be conquered by an enemy. Men in general suppose that to resent being harmed is only to show a proper spirit. But in the estimation of God, it is the opposite and manifests defeat. He acts as the Christian who yields not to anger, but remains without wrath under insult and ill treatment. So he says, do not be overcome by evil, but instead, what do we do? Overcome evil with good. Those last words there of the chapter, overcome evil with good. What does that mean? Well, for one thing, it means seek to win them over. 
the one who has done evil, who has acted as your enemy, maybe you can win them to Christ. Wouldn't that be amazing? Maybe by your doing good toward them, you're being kind, you're not holding a grudge, you're forgiving from the heart, you're doing the opposite of vengeance, maybe God would actually use that to save them. Oh, that would be amazing. Maybe, even if God hasn't yet saved them, you could win them over anyway. Maybe, maybe you could do something like to, well, I'll just use my, my wife as an example. I didn't ask her if I could. She's, it's a good example. It's a good example. Oh, over the years that we've been married, every once in a while, she'll encounter somebody who, who's just grumpy. You ever met a grumpy person? I don't know. And, and she'll say, I'm going to win her over. And the amazing thing is that she, she almost always does. And that's, a, that's a, a really neat thing to see, right? When you can overcome evil with good. But it's even more than that, what is being commanded here, too, with overcome evil with good. There may be some situations where you, you really can't be friends with somebody. Maybe an extreme situation. Maybe they're in prison for harming your child. I keep bringing up that example, right? You can't just start having this deep friendship in that situation, but you can still offer kindness. Send them a care package with the gospel tract. You, you, can, you can say, I will not be overcome by evil in this situation. I am going to overcome evil with good. But you know what? Most of our life situations are not going to be those extreme examples. Now, I will say, uh, 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 something like this, lots of people have questions that are probably bubbling up in their head. What about my situation? And I would love to talk to you about that. I'm serious. You want to talk more about what's going on with your situation. There are so many various situations. You can't possibly just address all of them in a sermon. That's part of why you need pastors, elders in your life, is, is because you can't just listen to a sermon like this on the Internet and then know exactly how it's going to apply to your weird situation. So I would love to schedule a time with you to sit down and talk through What's going on? How have you been sinned against? Why is this hard for you to let go? How can you not take vengeance? How can you overcome evil with good? What can you do? Because it's a very common problem to be sinned against. You know why? Look around. We've got a whole bunch of sinners. <laughs> but we have to figure out what does God say to do? What does he say to do? But the normal situations, the normal situations are not going to be the extreme examples. It's going to be, hey, I am in a life as a sinner, relating to sinners. That's how God has set it up in my marriage, in my family, in my church, in my workplace, in my school. And here's the instruction that he gives to us for all of these situations. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's the thing to keep in front of our minds. God forgave me. I want to develop a hard attitude that has a reflex, not of revenge, but of forgiving from the heart to forgive others. We need to thank God that he forgives. Even while he has justly punished our sin on the cross, that he used that to forgive us. And if we've been forgiven, then we can forgive others from the heart and be kind 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage in the scripture. Thank you for telling us these things that are so simple and yet so contrary to the fleshly desires of our hearts. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand. I pray that you would help us to submit to your word. I pray that you would help us to obey what you have said here. Lord, I pray that where there are those who are not trusting in Christ, I pray that you would show them the reality of the wrath of God that is coming towards sin and toward them if they won't repent and believe in Jesus as Savior. And I pray that you would save them by your grace through faith in Jesus. And God, for any Christians who have been forgiven, but something in their heart just makes them think that their situation is the one where they don't need to forgive from the heart, I pray that you would show them the reality of their forgiveness in Christ. I pray that you would show them the reality of your vengeance and wrath towards sin, whether on the cross or in hell. And I pray that in recognizing that, Lord, that you would grant us forgiveness from the heart. Thank you that you have said out of the mouth of Christ that everyone who is forgiven will do this. We just praise you for that. And I pray that you would bring it about in reality right now. Lord, help us to be a church and individuals who are not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.